And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Bill Landis joined by Johnny Menzel's worst enemy, Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing? Uh, things I didn't think would happen over the weekend. Twitter argument with Johnny Menzel. But you know what? It's a weird year, and uh, here we are. So let's get this going. I got some fire uh, in my belly here. I uh, had a, a weird weekend and uh, we're ready to go. Uh, I think things probably got easier for Ohio State in the discussion, but in terms of the national college football playoff discourse, I'm pretty sure that there is a lot of unhinged behavior happening out there and my head's about to explode. So let's, let's try to parse through some sanity here and just do me a favor. And you know, I need you today, bud. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, well, we'll talk about the playoff because why wouldn't we talk about the playoff? And then, uh, we'll get into some signing day stuff. We'll get into Emeka Abuka's commitment to Ohio State. But let's start with the, the bit of the playoff madness because for some reason, Florida losing to LSU clears up the playoff picture yet simultaneously completely ruins anyone's logical understanding of how this thing works because we're arguing about Texas A&M on the internet as if Ohio State's path to the playoff did not just become abundantly clear after Florida lost to LSU. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my uh, Twitter beef, I guess, the thing that I'm supposed to not have uh, is not really even about Ohio State because Florida, there was one disaster scenario, right? The disaster scenario always was, always was one loss Florida beats Alabama, and that creates a one loss Florida SEC champ. That uh, keeps the door open for Alabama as a one loss team to still get in at four. And then Clemson uh, beating Notre Dame brings two ACC teams, and all of a sudden 6-0 and Ohio State potentially is sitting out there on the outside looking in. Like now, I think that Florida losing basically locked Ohio State in, assuming that they beat Northwestern, which is an easy assumption since they're favored by three touchdowns. So, um, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, I think that the Florida result was great for you, and it was the first time all season that we had one of those results that was just like, how the hell did that happen? Um but I think it's also a nice reminder that even if your team is in shambles or you're not having the greatest year, if you have a lot of talent on it, you can put it together and, and things can go. Like the craziest thing about that Florida loss was that wasn't like LSU down to like their fifth and sixth corner in that game. And they're, they're facing like 40 the 40 something players. Yeah. Heisman Scholar Trophy favorite uh, quarterback uh, going against them and they somehow won that game. Like that was nuts. So, you know, for Ohio State. You know, we spent the last few weeks talking and discussing, is six games going to be enough? Do they need a Big Ten championship to get in? What about the resume? What about this? What about that? And it's just like, right now, Ohio State's biggest uh, conversation um, has always been against Texas A&M for that fourth spot. And it's like, now it's just like, that was it. You know, that yeah. that, that kind of ended that debate. So, like, I don't want to go down the path of Texas A&M and USC, and, you know, I would love to. Uh, <laughs> but as it pertains to Ohio State, I don't think that Ohio State has a care in the world right now as long as they take care of business. Because, like, you can't even come up with a another scenario where it's like, who would they take ahead of them if there's two spots available now? So, um, 
yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that means. If Florida somehow pulls a rabbit out of their hat and beats Alabama, do you take the two-loss SEC champion and that's still does that still hold weight to you, or do you think that Ohio State's basically in the clear now? I think Ohio State's in the clear. Um, <clears throat> it would be strange to not have the SEC champion in, in the playoff, but I still I, I think that two-loss thing is a, is a real hurdle, like probably the biggest hurdle. Um, for the for the playoff committee to get over, so I, I just I don't see a two loss Florida team that lost to a very bad LSU team. LSU was terrible, um, and was missing half of its scholarship players and still beat Florida on the road. Um, I don't see how you put that team into the playoff, even if it does beat Alabama. But I do want to I want to game something out with you here. I'm just curious if you what you think of this scenario because I don't think it's going to happen. By the way, Ohio State plays in the Big Ten Championship on Saturday. We'll talk about that probably a little, little more in depth later this week when they play Northwestern on Saturday in Indianapolis at noon. If Ohio State loses that game somehow, not going to happen, but if they lose that game somehow and Clemson loses to Notre Dame and has two losses, does Ohio State still get in at 5-1? I don't know. I, I think that like the thing that we've been arguing about is um, lack of games for the resume shouldn't matter when the games that you would be adding to them are are um, Maryland and Illinois and maybe Michigan even because that team was a 30-point underdog. But I think that if you lose, then your benefit of the doubt when you only played six or seven games at most goes out the window. So like to mm-hmm. me... If Ohio State loses to Northwestern, I think that, in my personal opinion, I would remove them from the discussion because they need to get everything perfectly right to overcome the lack of games. Um, and if you lose the one game that you can't lose and you're like sitting there at 5-1, and one, I don't know how you could take them. Like They're already pushing their luck as it is. Whether or not we agree with that is one thing, but p- pushing your luck at 6-0 and oh as a Big Ten championship is, is far enough. Um, but that scenario, I think they would be done. I, I don't know. I think if Clemson loses twice to another playoff team, I think that's still better than losing one of your six games. Yeah, I think so too. I I, I, I think maybe they could be in because it'd be like Alabama, Notre Dame, and then like who do you take? Like it's not there's nothing clear cut about it. It's like the one loss team that didn't win the Big Ten, the two loss Clemson team, the two loss Big Twelve champion. One lost Texas A&M that got ran off the field by Alabama. It's like you run out of, of compelling options pretty quickly in a scenario where Clemson's sitting there with two losses. If USC goes 6-0 and and wins the Pac-12 and beats Washington handily and is sitting there as a 6-0 and Pac-12 champion and Ohio State's 5-1 and with a loss to Northwestern, I would take SC over Ohio State. I think Ohio State's a better football team than, than USC, but I think the context of how we view Ohio State as a juggernaut, the way that we currently do, goes out the window if they somehow lose to Northwestern. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I'd take Cincinnati undefeated AAC champ over Ohio State in that scenario too. I don't think the committee would do that, but I personally I think would do that too. Because there's a benefit of the doubt here, like you said, with Ohio State. And I think they've earned it. And it's sort of the only way to handle it in a season where everyone's not playing the same number of games, but it, you lose it immediately the second you lose to a team like Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the benefit of the doubt is always an important thing to – uh, you know, consider. And, you know, Doug LaMaurice on Cleveland.com has made this point. I made this point uh, with Ohio State. Everything Ohio State does is confirming what we already knew about them. They're not trying to prove a point. They're trying to continue with the status quo. And I think when you come from that standpoint, you know, it's easier to brush aside weird games like the Indiana game or brush aside, you know, potential run-ins with teams that you shouldn't have because we already know and think that they're one of the four best teams. And USC, from from a you know different standpoint, is trying to prove that they belong when people don't think they can. And I personally, despite the fact of uh, what you might read on Twitter, don't think that USC belongs. The only thing that I've ever said about USC from the beginning is that they belong in the conversation. And I think now with the Florida loss, that is kind of manifesting a little bit because we're going to try to figure out who gets the four teams in. Um, but in that scenario too, USC goes for not losing. Cause like the number one thing for Ohio state right now in their resume, isn't that they have a good schedule or that they have looked impressive or have quality wins. It's the fact that they're loaded with talent, haven't lost, are the clear best team in the big 10 and are going to be the big 10 champions. But you, you had a loss in there. They're no longer a conference champ. They've lost one of their six games. Their other, I mean, I don't even know that you could make that discussion. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, other teams come in with, you know, USC would, would be in that mix. You know, I think that um, Cincinnati would be in that mix. And then, like, you know, you, you go from there because 
the one thing that has irked me to the core of my being, Bill, and this is more of an AP poll thing because we haven't seen the new playoff rankings, but USC is being hurt in the rankings in the in the AP poll because they haven't played enough games. And they are behind teams in front of them who have lost twice. And if you're penalizing USC for losing um, – or for, for games you think they would lose if they were to play them, by putting them behind teams that have already done the thing that you think that USC would do, that is fragmented, inconsistent, crazy thinking. And Bill, as we sit here on this podcast right now, you and I have banged the drum that it doesn't matter that Ohio State has only played six games. They're clearly one of the best teams in the country, and I firmly believe that. I think anybody, like I always say, who has eyes thinks that Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the country. But if we have more context to this conversation and they were to lose to Northwestern, I don't know that I would believe that they either deserve it or are the four best teams. Maybe I would still think that, but this is a deserving versus best discussion, and Ohio State would have a kink in the armor when it comes to um, being the best team because they lost to Northwestern, and then they wouldn't even have the resume because they didn't play enough games. Like I don't even know how you could rationalize that especially in a weird year where you're trying to figure out ways to play and, and fit things in like USC or Cincinnati in this situation would be undefeated and a conference champion and played more games and didn't lose. USC would be a conference champion and wouldn't lose. Like, I don't know how you could possibly get to that point. Like Ohio state is walking on thin ice and that, that ice got a lot thicker once Florida lost. But if you put them back on that ice with a loss, I think they're done. Yeah, I think they would be too, but <clears throat> I also think it's not something we're going to have to worry about. They're 20-point favorites against North, against Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern has a solid defense. A, I mean, we know what they are offensively. They, they are what they always are offensively. They have a quarterback in Peyton Ramsey who's a little more serviceable than what they've had recently, but um, Ohio State should should run away with this game, and I think everyone expects them to, and it'll be clean. They'll be 6-0. and They'll be in the playoff, and then people uh, who get their checks cut by – networks that have vested interest vested interests in the sec can cry about it on twitter um let's move on to something kind of related to this um before we talk about recruiting the big 10 champions week schedule i don't even know why we're calling it that but it came out on sunday and we don't have to run through all the matchups all you have to know is that it's not what we thought it would be which was matching up the east and the west by their records and basically playing crossover games um, over the course of, of Big Ten Championship weekend. And they did things like give Indiana and Purdue a chance to remake their rivalry game. So, with that in mind, would you have rather seen Ohio State playing for a Big Ten title this weekend against Northwestern, or would you have rather seen them put Ohio State against Michigan when all that matters really is Ohio State playing another game? The latter. Like, as a person who wants to consume the sport, I think – matching up Ohio State with the team and the game that we spend all year round thinking about would be more fascinating to watch and to uh, consume. Now, I think that Ohio State is in a different position now than they were last week because if you would have asked me that last week, my my position on this might change because um, Ohio State now seems firmly in the discussion. So like mm-hmm. now that Ohio State's firmly in with a win – um, that kind of changes things because the the number one focus, and I got you and I both got some crap about this on Twitter last week. I engaged in the discussion, and you were nowhere to be found. But somebody <laughs> said that they were annoyed that we talked more about the playoff um, in our coverage the last week and a half than they than the Michigan game because they deserved that the Michigan game should have been the forefront because the Michigan game is the most important thing, and I disagree with that completely. I think that the playoff is the most important thing. And if you were to ask Ohio State fans, would you rather not play the Michigan game and put yourself in the best position to make the playoff or play the Michigan game and potentially jeopardize that, that they would take the playoff over anything that involves the Michigan game? Now that Ohio State is no longer in jeopardy of not making the playoff, I don't know that the Northwestern win or a Big Ten championship is going to be the thing that gets Ohio State in. It's just being 6-0 and and being the best team in your conference. And I think playing Michigan would still accomplish that same end goal. Now, I don't know that that would be fair to the players because the players go there and um, they want to win a Big Ten champion. They chip. They want to hang that banner in the woody. They want to put the, the decorations up and have the ring and, and win a Big Ten championship game. But I bet you if you asked um, – 
a bunch of anonymous players in Ohio State's history, would you rather have a pair of gold pants or a Big Ten championship ring? They'd probably take the gold pants. Mm-hmm. Like the gold pants are the thing that their parents wear around their neck. You know, you don't see players walking around with Big Ten championship rings hanging around their parents' neck. And I'm not trying to delegitimize the accomplishment. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Usually those two things are are in the same. You beat up Michigan and you win the Big Ten because you accomplished both. But in a weird year, preserving the rivalry game, playing the rivalry game, and then still getting into the playoff would be the best case scenario, um, especially now that that's no longer a thing. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, what they did what they had to do, they made the schedule before results came in. And I don't know that the whole thing was about getting people um, excited for the playoff. Maybe it was, but now that the playoff is kind of an ancillary thing, you still want that Michigan game to be played. Am I crazy about that? No, I would too. And and I think if you if you told Ohio State's players last week, like as long as you win, you're in the playoff. It doesn't matter on what stage and against which opponent that might be. Would you rather play Northwestern or Michigan? They would all say Michigan. Like I'm sure they're happy to get a ring, like you said. I think they'd all much rather have gold pants if, in the end, it didn't make any difference to their to their playoff path. Um, and that's interesting. I didn't I didn't see that that uh, tweet from that person. Uh, you're talking about uh, mostly because I turned off all my Twitter notifications because I like to live a sane life. Did you um, turn off your notifications for when I tweet? I don't. My phone does not buzz with anything Twitter related unless I turn on notifications for like a recruit. Like my phone buzz when Emeka Buka announces commitment, but I don't get any notifications on my phone when anyone interacts with me ever. And I only see interactions from people who I follow and who follow me because uh, it just makes my life a lot easier. If you want to uh, tell me I'm dumb, shoot me an email. Blandis at theathletic.com. Twitter sucks. Uh, I, uh, I I I was. It wasn't an argument, and it wasn't beef. It was a nice discussion, and the person was asserting that instead of us always constantly putting Ohio State in the context of Clemson, that we are not putting the Michigan game on a big enough pedestal. And I understand there are people that counterpoint. Have, counterpoint. Michigan's not putting the Ohio State Michigan game on enough of a pedestal. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't read what I wrote? <laughs> yeah, I said I would be happy to do that if the rivalry game was what it was. And like I think there are still a good portion of Ohio State fans, and I think my uncle might be one of them, where time stopped in um, 1990 or time stopped in 1980 and the John Cooper years and everything are still a thing. And like the Jim Trestle mantra of win all your games, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and then worry about what's next later – is still like ingrained in their brain. But the thing that I want to stress the most is that this is not the same sport as it was in 1995. It's not. And like right now, you know, and their, their argument was Twitter isn't the real world. What you see on Twitter isn't how people feel. But I bet you if you polled 2,000 or 1,000 for the sake of math, random Ohio State fans that said, would you rather beat Michigan and Um, jeopardize your chances of playing in the playoff or to skip the Michigan game entirely by exceeding your or increasing your chances of playing in the playoff, I think the vast majority of those fans would take the second thing, Mm -hmm. especially in a year where that game is going to be a blowout. So I'm not saying that the rivalry isn't important. I'm not saying that it doesn't suck that the game's not being played. In fact, I think that in our last podcast, we spent a half hour talking about how bad that was and how shitty it is. I don't think anybody is discussing that, but in the current world of Ohio State football, where they have risen to being one of the top three teams in the country program-wise, the the goal is bigger than beating Michigan. And if if beating Michigan or playing Michigan in a weird pandemic year is going to make it worse off to potentially playing for a national championship, then that is a secondary concern right now. And I don't know that that's a nuts thing to say. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the game, but that's the reality. Playoff or bust isn't beat Michigan or bust. It's playoff or bust. Yeah, Alabama won a national championship after losing to Auburn. You think they care? No, probably not. Because that that was the thing when like Jalen Hurts had the trophy in his backpack or something, right? Yeah, it's um, yeah, you know. And I'm not saying that that doesn't take luster off of the season. Trust me, I know that losing to Michigan would ruin days and weeks and even the year for Ohio State fans. Nobody is is trying to advocate for like the lack of importance um, when it comes to the Michigan game. But in the current reality of the situation is that this is a weird year and resumes and in that discussion are a big part of it. And beating Michigan does nothing to enhance Ohio State's resume. 
Of course they should have preserved the rivalry. It doesn't make any difference for the playoff. And now that the playoff is kind of squared away, it would have been great to see them play Michigan. But last week when we were talking about it, Michigan wouldn't have enhanced the resume that we are trying to build, and Northwestern would. Yeah, I mean, I I, I yearn for, for days where every Ohio State-Michigan game is 2016, and it's uh, basically a play-in game to play for a national championship. But at the moment, that's not what it is. I wrote it. We talked about it last week, and I wrote about it late last week. Ohio State is very likely going to go to the college football playoff if slash when it beats Northwestern, and the fact that it had did not play Michigan this year will not matter at all in the grand scheme of the entire season. Like they can still go win a national championship. It's not even that they could lose to Michigan in that matter. They even played a game, and it didn't matter. And they're still going to win a national championship. Like it makes me worry a little bit about what the future of this rivalry is. And I, I, the person, uh, and now I feel bad I didn't engage with them. I wasn't ignoring them um, off principle or anything like that. But it, it, it is a good point that you know the world does not exist on Twitter. There are plenty of Ohio State fans who aren't on Twitter, and to use the the Twitter reaction as the reaction for the fan base as a whole might be a little unfair. But it did seem to me that the reaction to the Michigan game getting canceled was not, I can't believe the Michigan game got canceled. It was, what does this mean for the playoff? playoff. Exactly. And, like, the thing, too, is fans view things a certain way, and they should. It's what makes the the sport beautiful. And, like, if this specific fan wants to put the Michigan game on his pedestal personally and make that the most important thing to him every year, then that he should. Like, go be happy. Go consume the game the way you want to consume it. Make it part of Thanksgiving. Be devastated that the Michigan game is canceled. I, I am welcoming you feeling that way. But you know what? We have had a really interesting benefit of of spending five years working together at Cleveland.com. And at Cleveland.com, there was this cool little website where metrics were involved. And when we would write stories, we would know what subject matters hit the metrics and which ones we knew through five years of conditioning and borderline obsession on my part, I would text, I, w- I would like look at uh, how my stories were performing at traffic stops and traffic lights. Um, I have a, a very seasoned ability as a journalist and as somebody who's covered Ohio State for a third of his life to know what people are interested in. And guess what always drove the numbers? playoff discussion that's not twitter people care about national championships and that's the wonderful thing that urban meyer brought to ohio state it went from when the big 10 beat michigan then worry about what's next to the thing that we're talking about in july is the national championship game that's what we're talking about and i think part of the reason why we're in this this specific situation bill is because the rivalry just kind of sucks right now and i think if michigan were to have beaten ohio state in 16 or michigan had a team this year where the game would have been a three-point favorite the reaction to this would have been different i think if michigan was a more competitive football team or a team that could potentially beat ohio state the big 10 might have thought twice about this game but the fact that michigan was so out of the big 10 discussion at this point force them to do the thing that was right for the Big Ten championship game. But let's say Michigan was undefeated right now and Ohio State was undefeated. You don't think they'd play that game? Of course they'd play that game because it would have been necessary to determine who the best team is. But the fact that Michigan is out of the discussion has caused this the erosion of the importance of the game. So you can't have two things. You can you can prop it up and make it a rivalry. It is. It's one of the best rivalries or was one of the best rivalries in college football. But until Michigan holds up their end of the bargain, it's becoming more and more irrelevant. And I think in a weird year where the game got canceled and the initial reaction from everybody that I saw was, what does this mean for Ohio State's chance to win a national championship? It would have been devastation had the game been what it was, but it's not. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
why. Yeah, I do think it's it's interesting to kind of ponder maybe what would have happened, say, if, if Michigan was what Iowa is this year. And Iowa is like a top 20 team. It has one loss. I think most people probably think that Iowa is is the best team in the Big Ten West and, and at, at worst, like the third best team in the Big Ten behind Ohio State and Indiana. And if Michigan were in that position, I could see a scenario where the Big Ten would have went out of its way to make sure Ohio State-Michigan would have happened and then figure out another way to determine their conference champion or name co-champions or whatever. Because, like, honestly, the Big Ten championship is just a television show. They went 100 years without having a championship game, and it was fine. I like that they have it. It's fun to cover it. I enjoy going to it. Indianapolis is a good town. They don't need it. Other than to get the TV revenue from it, you can find another way to determine your champion. Just put your best team in a position to make the playoff by having it play good teams. Michigan's not a good team. There's like no benefit for Ohio State playing Michigan other than preserving the sanctity of the rivalry, which is important, but Michigan stinks. So I'd rather watch Ohio State play Northwestern. I think it, I think it's better for the Big Ten in terms of getting a team to the playoff for Ohio State to play Northwestern than to play a team it's favored by 30 against. Yeah, and when you're designing a conference, they put it on the same side. Like the Michigan-Ohio State positioning in the Big Ten East – is um, I guess Michigan is like the line from geogra- uh, geography, right? Uh, for east and west, and like Michigan State and Michigan are like the, the furthest west teams. But the reason why the, the, the Ohio State-Michigan situation is the last game is because that game is supposed to determine who goes on to win the Big Ten. And then for 100 years, that was always the case, and now it just determines who um, on the other side of the conference that team gets to go play. Um, but if Michigan was relevant – then the game would have been preserved more. I think the part of the reason why the game wasn't preserved is because Michigan sucks. Yeah. And that's a Michigan problem, not my perspective problem. No, I agree. I, I mean, I still would have liked – I mean, it is the Ohio State-Michigan game, and I, I do – I hold it in high regard. And Me too. And I, I said that last week. Like, I, I do wish they would have played it sort of regardless of all the things we said, but it doesn't – it didn't matter this year. I think that so. the Big Ten made a mistake – by not putting the game in the middle of the schedule the same way that they did in the initial schedule that they had out, the Jenga board, like you said. I think that preserving that game should have been a priority before we found out that Michigan was terrible. I think that that should have always been the case. And it didn't have to be the opener like our crazy idea was, you know, five five months ago. But if they would have put it in week four, they could have thought to themselves, they're going to play this game no matter what in this pandemic. If it happens on schedule, great. If not, then we can move things around later on to make sure that they play this game because there is no game in the Big Ten between any other two teams that is any bit as important, even in the same galaxy, as important as Ohio State-Michigan. So the yep. fact that Ohio State is going to go to the playoff potentially without playing Michigan but having wins against um, Michigan State and um, Indiana and some of the teams that they've beaten is is kind of a travesty that Michigan wasn't replaced with one of the teams that they beat. Like Ohio State beat Rutgers instead of Michigan, and that really freaking sucks. Because you know that that's part of like what a complete season feels like. That's part of like a complete meal. You know, you got your got your starch, you got your bread, you got your carbs. Wait, is that a complete meal? You got your Michigan. (laughs) Starch, carbs, and bread. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. Uh, That's an already played at Thanksgiving. But like you know. I know that it's like doesn't hold the same 06. Bo Schembechler passed away two days before the game between number one and number two, and the weather is perfect and the national championship is on the line. Like, trust me, I think everybody, including fans, would like prefer to live in a world where that game was as exciting or where our discussion about Michigan in July is how good is it going to be in terms of is it top five or top ten or they're recruiting a top four class. And like the, the fear of playing Michigan is what made the game so special. Ohio State doesn't even fear them anymore. And I guess some people do. They People on Twitter were saying, well, I was afraid, and it, the game keeps me up at night. And it's like, okay, that's fine. That's more of a tradition thing than a reality, though. Ohio State wasn't going to lose to that team. Yeah, there's a generational thing with that for sure. Like People who lived through the Cooper years, I think, definitely, and, and people who lived through the 10-year war, maybe more specifically, um, do have a healthy fear of Michigan, which I think is great. Um, but... People of a younger generation like have no reason to fear that. <laughs> Ohio State's one was a fifteen or seventeen of the last nineteen and the last eight. It's like it's just been so one sided for for a generation of Ohio State fans that that some of them, right or wrong, and you can certainly think it's wrong, sort of like have bigger fish to fry. There, the, the the scenario is now that you can come out and lose to Michigan, have be a one-loss team, go to the Big Ten Championship, and still win a national title. It's just like the game has changed, like you said. Time and change will surely show how bad Michigan is now. Sucks for Ohio. 
It's in your fight song, or it's in your it's in your uh, it's in your song. It's in your alma mater. Time and change has shown, and I understand that things were great for the rivalry when uh, Ohio State and Michigan were undefeated in 2006. I understand that John Cooper has caused uh, creases in your face that will last a lifetime, but also as a adult who consumes this sport and cares about it deeply, you also have to have the ability to identify that change occurs. And right now, this is the worst shape that this rivalry has ever been in. Yeah. And it's getting worse. Which is a good transition to recruiting talk. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. That's why they pay you the big bucks to host, man. That's why they do it. That was that was perfect. Uh, before we get into the recruiting talk, uh, friendly reminder, subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Still get you a two-for-one gift deal. You can buy one subscription, get another subscription to gift to somebody else. Or I suppose you could buy a subscription for somebody else and then gift one to yourself. Whatever makes you feel better. But theathletic.com slash 4-6. You go there right now, you get two subscriptions for the price of one. Emeka Ibuka, five-star receiver, number one receiver in the class of 2021, does what most of us thought he would do all along and commits to Ohio State last Friday night. Um, there was some 11th hour stuff with Oklahoma. He visited Oklahoma. He came back and like immediately said, I'm making my decision in a few days. And I think everyone freaked out a little bit because typically when that happens, it means the team that, or can mean the team that, that last hosted the prospect um, takes the lead. And Ohio State hasn't hosted a Buka since last season because Ohio State can't host anybody <clears throat> at the moment. But he commits to Ohio State. And I don't know, should we start with the absurdity of what they're doing at the receiver position at the moment? You looked up those numbers, and I don't know that it's new. Like, every time they get a five-star kid to commit, like, at receiver, you just add it to the, the list. So, like, the fact that it's, it's not new, but, like, why don't you just run through those numbers that you came up with? Because when you texted it to me, like, I obviously am very aware of how dominant Heartline has been, but when you, can, when you look at it and, and digest it, it's kind of crazy. So, uh, first I'll tell you this. Since 2019, um, starting with Garrett Wilson, uh, they've had Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, G. Scott Jr., Mookie Cooper. In 21, they now have Emeka Ibuka. They have Marvin Harrison Jr. They have Jalen Ballard. And in 2022, they have Caleb Burton and might get uh, Armani Winfield. That's 10 receivers from 2019 to 2022. They're all top 100 players. Like half of those guys are five-star prospects. So that's one thing that Ohio State and Brian Hartline have done in the last few recruiting cycles. And the other thing is over that same time span from 2019 to 2022, the top seven receivers, regardless of class, just by their individual player rating, have all gone to either Ohio State or Oklahoma. And with Ibuka's commitment, Ohio State took a 4-3 lead in that race. So basically, if you're the best receiver in the country, you're either going to Ohio State or Oklahoma, and Ohio State got a nice feather in its cap by beating Oklahoma for a Buka last week. Yeah, I... Do they even need him? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, like if, they didn't, that, if they didn't get him... Like I wasn't going to freak out about it. He's really good. Um, his, I mean, all these all these guys' tape looks incredible, but he is uh, very complete, very explosive. Can honestly, like, if he played defense, I think he might be a borderline five star prospect. He's a freaky athlete, well put together, versatile receiver. So I don't want to say, oh yeah, you can lose that guy and it doesn't matter, but you can kind of lose that guy and it doesn't matter with what they've done at the position the last few years. Yeah, I mean, when you start getting like the way Ohio State's recruiting classes have been struck and uh, constructed the last seven years, signing day has always been about luxury <laughs> than it was about necessity. Like I don't know, like can you go back and you're in the big brain of yours and like come <laughs> up with a time where Ohio State was like, I need to get this kid on signing day or we have a gaping hole on our roster. Like, I don't know. Uh, I think maybe you could make, like, 18, running back, maybe. Nick Petit, Nick Petit Frere in 2018 when they didn't yeah. get Jackson Carmen. Yeah. But, like, even then, he didn't start for two years after it. Right. So, like, <laughs> it wasn't, like, point. somebody who, like, they absolutely had to have on their roster. I know one year they had only 10 offensive linemen in spring football. So, like, was that the Petit Frere year? That was – no, that was last spring. That was Ryan Day's first spring. I think they had, like, 11 scholarship offensive linemen. Oh, but some of that was because of injury, too. But, like, yeah. also – there weren't like when Ohio State got Mayon Williams when they kind of whiffed on their uh, running back commits um, two years ago. There wasn't somebody on signing day that was a five star kid that was announcing that was like maybe going to go to Ohio State. So like the fact that they're in a, a a situation right now where they got this luxury item is great, but I think the bigger 
uh, more pertinent piece to this class just from a necessity standpoint is JT Tui Malau, and he's not announcing um, until like February. So I, I, I'm very excited to see how that goes. But Bill, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. 2021 team recruiting rankings. Alabama, number one, 22 commitments, six five-stars, 12 four-stars, average player rating 94.59, which is the greatest in the history of um, of the recruiting rankings dating back to 2000, the modern era. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio State. State Ohio State, 21 commitments, five five-stars, 13 four-stars, 94.55. 94.59 and 94.55 is like – a speck of sand at the beach. That's the difference. You know, and mm-hmm. like I guess you want to finish big and you want to get those guys, but man, what a race and how exciting has it been? Like that's like Ohio State's already got their class all squared away. You know, you want to get to him allow, you want to, you know, maybe finish on on a high note, but in terms of like the class that they put together here, this class is better than 17 on paper. And I, I, we know we have the, the hindsight of 2017 um, and what those players did. And, like, I know Okuda and Young and all those guys that were at the top there, Dobbins, like, all performed well. But, like, in five years, you're going to look back at this class and go, holy shit, that is the the Chase Young, the Jeff Okuda, you know, the, the, the types of players that are going to have an impact. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like <clears throat> an urban build up to that to, to 2017. Like his 13 class was was great and the, and the foundation for a national championship. But but 2017 was a turn in a different direction and something different than than this program has ever done. It was five five star prospects, all of them from out of state. Uh, I think it was 13 top 100 players. Like it was it was an absurd class. And we wondered like, is that going to be the norm at Ohio State moving forward? And 2018 was similar. And then there was the coaching change in 2019, took fewer players, and it was a little lower. And then Ryan Day's first class for 2020 was, a, I guess like you could say, like a transitional class, even though it was very good. But it's like, here we go, Ryan Day's kind of first full cycle is the 2021 cycle. Like There's no holdovers from the previous staff. This is basically like all his work and all his new staff's work. And it could end up being better, on paper anyway, than the best class that Urban ever signed. And it's pretty crazy. It's pretty like it's not it's not crazy that Ryan Day's recruiting well, considering the monster that he took over, but that he's signing this kind of class so early in his tenure is is a little absurd. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if the expectation was ever to match Urban even in year five. Like right. you know, so the fact that it's happening in year two, and and I wrote this after his first class, even after he got announced in December, but the fact that he was able to preserve that that class during the transition time during urban was probably the best thing that he's ever done. And like, that was a huge deal. And the fact that he has, has shown up and I did an anonymous player survey, not to plug my own story, but you know what, this is what we do on this podcast uh, that ran on the athletic on Monday. And 
I asked 15 random recruiting coordinators from every Power 5 conference in every geographical area in the sport, and, like, multiple people said Ryan Day is the best recruiter in college football. And, like, they had the option of saying Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney or other guys that I would probably pick, you know, and and maybe, you know, nobody should beat Saban in that question. Mm -hmm. But, like, the fact that Ryan Day is in that realm so quickly is, like, the biggest – that was the biggest uncertainty that I had about the Ohio State football program during the transition – it wasn't whether or not Ohio State could call the right plays or to maintain the culture that was in place. It was whether or not Ohio State would be able to to get elite-level players at the same rate that Urban did. And the fact that they're doing it, like, this is the last hurdle to me of whether or not we think Ryan Day is the right guy. And that might sound stupid because we've seen this class get built over the course of a year, and that's not particularly new. But the fact that they're about to sign this class right now, to me is like irrefutable evidence that this is the right person. I don't even care if he loses a game or does something that isn't great on the field. This is it. This was the hurdle, and they've cleared it. And it's it's a pretty good feeling if you're an Ohio State fan. Yeah, I mean, eventually you got to see it get turned in, into championships. That, that goes without saying, I suppose. But it's a credit to Ryan Day. It's a credit to to Mark Pantone, who oversees the player personnel department and was a holdover from Irvin Meyer's staff. Like, they didn't really skip a beat. And in some ways, like, it, it feels like it's getting better. And, it, and it's not better in the sense, like, the matching and exceeding 2017 on a regular basis or matching and exceeding whatever they end up doing in 2021 is not realistic because this is, like, this is really good. This is, like, historic kind of level recruiting or, or close to it. I don't think you should expect historic every year. But the the plan, the the places they're going, the kind of players they're getting – all of and and the balance I think in the class is interesting too. That's the the one thing I noted about this class uh, compared to last year, especially last year's class was good. Eight of the top nine players in that class were offensive players, and I think there was a little bit of concern coming out of that. Like, well, they're, they're recruiting really well on offense, obviously because of Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and what they do with quarterbacks and receivers. That all makes sense. Like, what about the defense? This class, uh, four of the top nine are defensive players. The best player in the class is a defensive player, and he's local, and I guess that that should be taken into consideration too. But it's not just Ryan Day, quarterback, guru, whatever, offensive mind, luring the best offensive players. They're striking a balance here with this class that I think is really important that's setting them up well on both sides of the ball. And that, like, that to me is almost as important as, as the caliber overall of the class when you think about Ryan Day's recruiting plan moving forward. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, you have to be able to show that you can get a well-rounded class because like, I kind of feel like you're seeing this at Oklahoma a little bit. They're getting some, some really good players in their class in 2021, and Caleb Williams and guys like that are important, but like, I don't know that there's balance there. It's all mm-hmm. offensive guys. So like, being well-rounded and putting yourself in a position to have a well-rounded class is, is crucial. Um. Looking at like where this could go from here, you mentioned JT Tuimaloao. I think I say his last name right. I think I say his last Tuimilau. name. I say it different every time I say it. JT, the kid, you know, the kid from uh, from Seattle. Um, he is the top remaining target on the board. I think there's a chance that perhaps Ohio State can flip Rayshon Davis from LSU, but I don't know. I don't think either of those two things are imminent. So the 21 they have now are the 21 that are going to sign on Wednesday, and there shouldn't really be any drama with that. At least I'm not expecting any drama with that. But there's still work to be done, and and you have a better handle on this than I do. Sort of the national picture of everything, like who's still left, who who's in the running for them, and how the the boards kind of stack up. Is Ohio State? going to finish with the number one class, whether you define that by total points in the standings or, or individual player rating, like based off who Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and LSU and all these other teams are still chasing as Ohio state currently stands with JT still on the board and maybe Rayshon Davis out there too. Do you think that Ryan day does finally do the one thing that Irvin Meyer didn't do at Ohio state and sign the number one class in the country? I mean, I think that right now they're in a very good position to do so, um, especially if they get JT. Cause like if they don't, then they're not. Um, and that might sound obvious, but they're number two in the rankings right now, and they need at least one more commitment just to get enough points to hop Alabama. Um, and, like, if they get Davis, too, and I don't know how realistic that is, but if that were to happen, I think that they would win um, that specific race. So, like, there's still – it comes down to, you know, who is being recruited where. And, like, you know, Xavier Sori, I think, is, is announcing on the 16th, and he's a kid that, you know, is considering uh, a few of the t- – teams that are, are still up there and Alabama's one of them for him. Um, 
you know, I think he's going to end up at Georgia, but it, it seems like Alabama's in, in the mix for more guys to add to their class than Ohio State is right now. So I would give Alabama a slight edge, um, but I don't know that it's going to be determined until February. Yeah, I don't think – JT, some of the stuff you read about him is like he he might not announce his commitment until like March. That's a dirty secret in recruiting. Like you don't have to sign a national letter for 10, especially when you're as good as, as JT Tuomaloa is. Um, you can just kind of decide where you want to go late and just show up without signing your letter of intent. And he seems uh, pretty keen on playing his senior season uh, at Eastside Catholic in, in Washington. And the state of Washington's not playing its football, I think, until February, I think they're supposed to start. Um, Emeka Abuka might do the same. Uh, the last I heard on him is he wasn't sure if he was going to early enroll yet, although he does have the ability to do so. But but JT, like it, it could really drag out longer than it sort of ever dragged out before, all the way to something like March or even April before we know whether or not Ohio State actually had the best class in the country. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the fun, right? Like Corey Foreman's going to uh, announce his decision on January 2nd, but he's signing a letter of intent on Wednesday. And it's just like a team is going to be super excited in their facility. And then there's going to be ongoing speculation for two more weeks going into the uh, all American game that he's announcing at. Like, you know, that's kind of the fun. And every year you always see these weird sick JT without somebody who hasn't really spent much time, like talking to anybody about his recruitment. It always seemed to me that like the biggest thing for him was the ability to take his official visits. And now that that can't happen, um, I think that maybe the more time you have after your season's over and into your senior year, that might give you the opportunity to go do tours on your own, um, which might be the reason why he's waiting so long. But you can't take official visits, at least as things stand right now during the pandemic, until after April 15th. And even that might get extended further because we don't know what's going to happen with this virus. So at that point, like we don't know exactly what visits are going to be permitted. But that really has had a hard time on players like him who could have taken an official visit to anywhere they wanted to in the country and didn't get to take any of them. And I'm surprised there aren't more people in his position doing this. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because, you know, I guess things could change. We're recording this on Monday and like the first shipment of the vaccines went out on Monday and like states are getting them. And I think there's a hope anyway that, you know, a few months from now it'll be more readily available for all of us. So we don't need to get in the weeds on that, but the world could look different five or six months from now, four months from now than it, than it does right now in terms of people being able to move about the country a little more freely. Um, and I do wonder if there's to be any opportunity in like the early spring or like mid April or so around the time spring games get played for recruits to do to take visits from this current cycle. And I thought maybe guys might wait around a little longer because I think Abuka was in that situation for a while too. And then he he just made the last visit he had to make to, to Oklahoma. He was an unofficial visit. He went, paid his own way, and then he made his decision. But I think there are a lot of guys like him and like JT who who have information gathering to do that you can kind of only do in person that they've not been able to do for the last basically year. And I, I'm like you, I'm a little surprised that more guys didn't wait around for that. But it's tough, too. It's like you can wait around to do it, but if you wait around to do it, like it's your spot in the class going to get taken up. Like only, I think only a handful of guys can truly wait around and just say, like, yeah, you hold a spot for me because I'm the best player on your board. Not every player can do that. I think 100 players could. Yeah, maybe. Like, where would you draw the line there? Hmm. I don't know. I think it's I think it's too specific to to the individual team to draw a hard line anywhere. But yeah, I do think that at least the top hundred players might be able to get away with something like that. Yeah, I mean, because like to me, there's a there's a, a huge difference between taking players that address direct needs and fill holes on your roster, and taking players that you take no matter what, regardless of need. And I think that the top hundred players in the country, for the most part, would fit that ca- the second category. Yeah. Now, what you're saying is. Uh, put yourself in Ohio State's position two years ago. Ohio State absolutely needs a running back, and they can't survive without one. Top 100 player um, running back X is picking between Florida, Ohio State, Alabama, and USC, and that player decides, hey, I'm not going to sign or announce or do anything until March, and Ohio State needs a running back in the spring to compete and like fill their hole. They might need to take somebody, but that doesn't mean they won't create a roster spot elsewhere to make sure that they can get the talent in their locker room. Because like you yep. have to stack the talent in your room just to have it on your team so that we can yell about the recruiting um, composite rankings um, four years down the line because you know uh, the most talented teams in the country are the ones that compete at the highest level, and sometimes that means taking players who are great who want to come to you regardless of position need. Yeah, and, and this year I think – 
I think that scenario this year would be almost a little easier to handle because, like, to use that example, and it, that's not true for Ohio State this year, but if Ohio State did need a running back and, like, Travion Henderson was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing yet, so you guys need to wait on me. I'm going to make my decision in May after I know for sure that I can't take visits before I have to enroll in June. And Ohio State, I think, maybe more so than previous years, might be more willing to do that because if they don't get him, we're entering the year of the one era of the one-time transfer. They might feel pretty good about their ability to go find, like, a transfer stopgap at running back if they needed to, which makes them more willing to wait for a guy like that. But two years ago, it'd be really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, a lot of teams aren't in – like it's like it's a, it's a double-edged sword because teams like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia have recruited so thoroughly and so well over the course of the past five years that they don't have holes to fill because their entire rosters are stacked. But then when you start getting into the lower-tier teams that – like a Michigan State or a Nebraska or th- those teams would never say no to any 100 player, top 100 player no matter what. Mm-hmm. So like – it's either stack your roster with with luxury pieces that you don't necessarily need, or being in a position where you might have one 100, top one hundred player in your last three classes, and like you would starve to death to get that guy. And yeah. like no matter what, in both scenarios, you make room. And you know it's an unfortunate reality of college football, but teams make room when there's a, a certain talent that they like. Last year, Zach Evans, there there was nothing on earth that TCU wouldn't have done to sign that kid. If he wanted to, if he wanted to sign as a junior in college, (laughs) they would have taken him. So, you know, I think that when it comes to talent accumulation, you always need to get those elite level players. And, you know, I I know we always like rant about top 30 players because those are the five-star prospects, but to put it in perspective, do you know how freaking hard it is to be a top 100 player in America? There's 50,000 high school football players, and you're saying that you're the number 91 player, and that's like the seventh best player in Ohio State's class? Like, can you freaking fathom that? Yeah. <clears throat> and the, that player happens to be uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., the uh, the son of Is it Marvin actually number Harrison. 91? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a complete yeah. coincidence. Don't, don't, don't give me credit for that. Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. It's like that guy uh, is like – gonna get dwarfed in the discussion about whether or not he's the best receiver to Emeka Egbuga and he's also like the 91st best player in high school football and probably like the sixth best receiver or 15th best I don't know I have no idea he is the 15th best which is kind of crazy there's 15 receivers in the top 100 uh in this class there's always the most receivers there's always that's always the thing because I think the best the, the most talented players either play defensive back receiver or quarterback at the high school level yeah yeah, I think that's right. In the, in no, the skill it, talent, yeah. It, it is. It is. It's like, yeah. Any other year, like, holy shit, we got Marvin Harrison Jr.? And it's like, oh, and I don't mean this to come off the wrong way, but it's like, oh, we also have Jalen Ballard and Emeka Buka, and they're ranked higher than he is. doesn't mean uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is really good. Like, Marvin um, Harrison is a top 100 player and might be the seventh highest rated player that Ohio State signed at that position in the last three years. I believe that is actually the case. Um, I'm throwing out random numbers right now and hitting them on all cylinders. I think we should end the podcast now so that, like, I can go out on top. Yeah, you should play uh, Powerball this week. <clears throat> no, that's okay. I'd rather right. waste $2 on a Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap up the show there. Uh, signing day is Wednesday. I think we'll talk more about this uh, later in the week. Ryan Day will have a press conference on Wednesday where he'll talk about the class. We'll talk more about the Big Ten Championship on Saturday against Northwestern. I'll be at that game. Uh, we'll give some picks for that game. So, so more to get into this week. But uh, to recap, Ohio State – Going to the playoff if it beats Northwestern and still very good at recruiting. Is there anything else we, we missed on this you're episode my, of You're my best friend. Also that I am Ari's best friend. Uh, and sometimes he's my best friend. He's a, he's on a good he's on a good run right now. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been yeah. texting him quite as much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys later in the week.